This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, Chris got in right. Hey, <laughs> I sliding in. What up? <laughs> hey, Chris. Explain yourself. Hey, um, it was so funny. I, I saw the video and then I saw somebody in black and white, and I was like, "This is this is not how it's supposed to be." So, the whole crew is here. It is a romantic uh, Valentine's Day weekend. So I, I brought uh, some gentlemen on to bestow your beating hearts. Uh, <laughs> The the first uh, closest to my heart, Will Allred. How are you, buddy? Been all right, man. All right. How are you? How about you? It's been an okay week, and for the first time, we have a special guest guest host, Blake Morgan of the Blake's Buzz Podcast. Thank you for joining us, buddy. Buzz, buzz, babies! I'm in the house. <laughs> so Blake has watched this show and commented, and I just kept bugging him. Come on, come on. Come on, come on. And I have to say, I think it was Ignatio that finally made my invite uh, palatable <laughs> to Blake because w- when when I could say Ignatio is going to be on the show, Blake was finally like, yeah, I think I can make it this way. <laughs> yeah, it's not just those two losers anymore. It's somebody I want to see. Okay, so. <laughs> to me, I, I expressed interest before. Yes, that's true. That's true. But the accent sealed the deal, right? Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> always. You're 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 a beautiful uh, looking and sounding man, sir. I couldn't say no. But we well, we you. have a packed house of creators. We have three amazing projects to talk about tonight. Um, we we brought up Ignacio, Gerald. You are kind of you have been voted in the person to give the thirty second pitch 
about breakneck oh, anthology. So why don't you start us off? Hello, Internet. My name is Joe Von Carr. I'm the managing editor of Breakneck Anthology, bringing five black and white sword and sorcery shorts to your eyeballs with muscles, murder, monsters, mayhem. I forgot another M. Oh, I keep forgetting. Madness. Madness. Mm, there's something else. I'm going to have to go check the page in. I said muscles. Uh, misogyny? No, don't do that. <laughs> no, no misogyny. Okay. Uh, and thankfully, I'm being joined by my co-editor and artist in the book, Ignacio DiMeglio, and one of the contributing writers and also uh, head of Red Sea Comics, Chris Moses. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, Pat, I see that you are not muted in Jana, so I'm going to go to Pat for Prison Witch next. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, Prison Witch is a uh, graphic novel series that I co-write with my wife, Amy. Uh, we are launching, well, have launched the uh, third and final volume on Kickstarter. Uh, it is about a woman who gets sent to prison, and there she meets a coven of witches who explains a dark truth about her life to her that sheds light on why she's in jail to begin with. It is like Orange is the New Black meets The Craft. Nice. That sounds cool. Oh, all right, John, what is Drumsticks of Doom? And if I call it Drumsticks of Destiny at any point, I apologize. <laughs> I've, always, I've tripped over that twice. So Drumsticks of Doom. Well, if you back it, you can call it whatever you want. All right. <laughs> I'm John Westhoff. I'm the publisher, writer, letterer for part-time comics and our newest project is the drumsticks of doom not drumsticks of destiny <laughs> short pitches black sabbath not the beatles became the most popular band in the world and the universe was changed musically and otherwise and our main character lana is just an indie rocker trying to uh, make it in a heavy metal world nice why don't we why don't we stick with drumsticks of doom for a sec and do, do our deep dive here. I noticed as I was putting this together, the anti-drummer is doing a book about drummers. What the hell are you doing to us, buddy? <laughs> so anti-drummer, the last band I was seriously in was uh, Anti-Hero was the name of the band. So <laughs> although there is also a Canadian band with, by the same name. But so if I looked up anti-guitarist and anti-lead singer, this would all be your compadres from the past? No, you know, they never jumped on the, the, the Twitter trend. I was okay. I was trying to, but... <laughs> All right, I'm going to pull up the page, uh, and you can start a deeper dive on how did you come up with the pitch, uh, the idea to even uh, make this comic? Well, the comic is really inspired by uh, great, you know, over-the-top rock metal bands like Manowar. Uh, and so, you know, oh gosh, probably seven, eight years ago, I was just kind of sitting around thinking, what would a world like that look like to me? You know, there's there's great interpretations of that, like, you know, Chuck Beebe's uh, Death Metal and, and Metalocalypse, the amazing cartoon. So I kind of sat on it for a while, kind of not really knowing what my in was to, to make a different world. And then, you know, I kind of started thinking of the character and, and what is she doing and, you know, why is she uh, not wanting to play metal in this heavy metal world? And, and, and that kind of helped me really expand the story. So it's really been something I've, I've really been brewing for at least you know five or so years now uh and finally i approached amazing artist dan doherty you can see his art here uh unless you're on the podcast please go to the page um and yeah he, dan is, is a musician i i was a, a a failed musician never really you know went anywhere with it but it was always kind of a part of my life and i wanted to bring in an artist who kind of 
had that background as well, who could, you know, understand and draw instruments. And, and, and Dan Doherty, he, he still is, you know, a musician. He gigs out, you know, every every weekend or every other weekend, uh, plays his, his own music. He's got some music in the campaign as well that we're adding. But I, I wanted to really bring in somebody who, who could really capture that. And obviously, I mean, you can see on the page, he uh, he just he just nails it. He he he, he and I worked on a um, anthology called Bandology, which was a music themed mm. anthology about 10 years ago. And once I saw his first story, which was about someone never really making the fame they wanted to in music, it was called The Beast in Me. I just knew I had to work with Dan at some point. Uh, and, and again, you know, I think those of us who've been in bands or who really love and enjoy music, it, it's just, it's a different part of you. So I, I wanted to really make a story that was, uh, you know, musically influenced. And I, I hope this uh, this fits the bill for people. What does what does your work in music uh, bring to the collaboration aspect of comics? Well, I think particularly, um, you know, I started playing drums because my band when I was fifteen. You know, I started playing bass, but we needed a drummer because we we had two bass players. So I kind of picked up drums, and and I think kind of taking that mindset has always made me someone who you know, is, is able to hold down the rhythm, so to speak, hold things together. Mm -hmm. I was never the best drummer in the world, but, you know, I showed up to practice. I, I, you know, tried to do my best and, you know, pull the songs together. I, I felt like I had a lot of input into writing the songs and the pace of the songs. And, and I think that that carries over into, you know, making comics as well. You got to be someone who's willing to uh, do your part to make the whole a lot better. No, I got, I got a question for you, John. Um, so I've spent lots and lots of money on Maria Wolf covers, and you're just offering that as cover A. Are you like friends with Mar like how did that happen? It's so good. Like that that cover's phenomenal. Well, sometimes you know the stars align and you 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 know you send someone a real sad sack email and say, please, ma'am, you know, <laughs> here's, here's my <laughs> here's my project. It really needs an amazing cover. And sometimes they tell you they have time to do it. I, I didn't, I didn't know Maria in any capacity other than, you know, laughing at her posts on Facebook or stuff like that. Um, but she is from the Chicagoland area. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that had an influence into it, but no, I, I had no connection with Maria and I just gave her, you know, a basic idea that I had for the cover. And of course you see, she just, she just nailed it. And, and of course there was that impetus. Do I make it like a variant, like, you know, charge, you know, but I just felt like that had to be the standard cover. That was, uh, she just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. If you're, if your lead artist isn't doing, you know, doing the cover that, that you need to be the, the cover on the Kickstarter, it can be nice to take the, the project image and the most beautiful image and just make that the one that everybody gets. But, you know, it's also not bad business to, take the most beautiful image and uh, make it the rarest and therefore the highest money maker. So it's, everybody gets to make that decision for themselves, which is pretty cool. How many issues would this be? Is this a one shot ongoing limited? Well, right now it's structured as a one shot. Um, we, we need to reach a much higher goal. I mean, you know, you all understand how Kickstarter works. You have your goal and then there's your real goal. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to be honest with you, working with artists, the caliber of Maria Wolf and Kaylin Smith and Dan Doherty, you know, my, my goal to fund another issue is, is much higher. So I think it can be a great one shot story in this world. And then we'll see, you know, down the road, maybe I get some publishing backing, maybe there's, you know, a big response to it. And then, and then, but if we don't reach that secondary goal, 
uh, yeah, it, it, it'll slow down the second issue. Right now, right now, I have it. This one shot, one shot, kind of structure like that. Be realistic. You know, indie comics. You don't know what what tomorrow's going to bring. I think it's a three issue arc, and then I think there's three arcs outside of that. So nine to twelve issues about uh, is kind of what I'd like to see it uh, pan out to be. But again, again, uh, you know, I'm I'm an old man on the scene, so I I've definitely gotten more realistic. Don't start with the you know fifteen to thirty issue arc you know make each story contained and, and satisfying enough so if you don't get around to it or things get in the way or you move on to other projects you still you're still offering a good good product product i have really a question uh, uh working with an artist that is also a musician how detailed do you go when you are writing the script? I mean, you 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 tell him which model of guitar you want, which set of drums. Uh, do you go really nitpicky, or you leave it to, to to him to decide? I appreciate that question, and, and again, that is part of why I brought Dan in because I knew he would understand the lingo. Uh, you know, oddly enough, even though I played drums for you know 25 years now or something, I, I did not really get nitpicky about the drums. I didn't say, you know, it's got to have, you know, double kick drums. I just said, you know, a simple set because, uh, you know, she's going to sing and play in the scene or whatever. But for the guitars, I was very specific. I said, this is a heavy metal world. I need flying Vs. I need BC riches. I need warlocks. You know, and Dan was like, I get it. You know, I know, I know that what you're talking about. And, you know, everything's got to be jagged and pointy, you know, when you're <laughs> heavy metal guy. So, Again, you see in the art, he 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 nailed that part. I, I don't know why that that was the thing I, I really stuck out to me. Ignacio, you're an artist. What if you were doing a rock band? Would you want the writer to tell you the instruments, or would you want to make it up for yourself? I mean, I have a little background in music. I was uh, uh, touring with uh, some bands as stage manager for a while, so I would I could make some educated guesses. But I would like to, if the if the writer has a, a clear image of what he wants in in mind, I, I would prefer uh, the reference or or them even, telling me. Even outside the the musical instruments, I usually I'll put if you want reference, I'll send it uh, and then you know add it afterwards. I, I don't always throw it in there unless it's something real specific that needs to be in there. But I, I try to leave it open for my artists, you know. Yeah, I've got a very important question in the comments. Who's the cute guy in the bottom right? Yeah. I don't know when they wrote it, but to me, I think it's Will. But I don't, everybody's screen is probably different. Um, <laughs> it was totally Chris, and then uh, I wanted to make sure I moved some people around, and yeah. then I got down there. It was an act, totally an accident. Yeah, sure it was an accident. Yeah, you know what? It's a Valentine's Day night. Everybody on this show is cute to me. So, um, <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, all right, so drumsticks are doomed. Uh oh, we I have another question. Please. What's with the werewolf? The most important question. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Again, with, uh, you know, part of the universe is that all the things your, your aunts and uncles and parents told you, if you listen to too much heavy metal, it's kind of happened. So there's a lot of alchemy and witchcraft and other things. So, you know, where does this wolf play in and why is he after our main character? You know, that's that's part of the story. Oh, that's that's awesome. Thank you. The artist the artist noticed the the most important thing in the room. <laughs> so let's let's go to the uh, anthology. We've got so many creators from it. Um, it's the Breakneck Anthology. This is black and white fantasy. Actually, before that, um, 
I noticed the page was black and white for Drumsticks of Doom, John. Is it going to be a black and white comic? And what was the thought process of that? And that's a hint to the guys in the anthology. I might ask something very similar. <laughs> well, initially, I, again, the story that really inspired me to work with Dan was black and white. Our music anthology was, you know, three issues of all black and white comics. I feel like um, once I saw that, I really just, I can't really get Dan's art out of my head in black and white. He does an, an amazing series called Touching Evil, which is in full color and looks great. But I really wanted it to be black and white. He, he talked about bringing in a colorist. And uh, once I saw his art, I said, you know, Dan, I'm sorry. We, we, you know, I think coloring's off the table. Maybe down the road we do a collection that's in color. But I yeah. just his his art just fits, and I feel like that fits in a in a you know this heavy metal slice of life story that we're trying to trying to do. Uh, I really feel like it just works in that. No, that totally makes sense. We have an answer. The cute guy migrated to the middle. Everyone else is decent. <laughs> decent. I'm gonna say this. I'm 47, going on 48. I will fucking take decent. <laughs> Me too. I thought that was going in a different direction. You're like, I will fuck you. I was like, whoa. No, I will take decent. <laughs> Kevin's getting rowdy. Decent is great. <laughs> I have a I have a note about about black and white art because it I used to not be a fan of it. And mm -hmm. uh, the last few months I've really gotten into manga and I'm just spending in a, a more money than I already. I mean, you guys that follow me, like I get books, like I just have like a roving train of like mail all the time mm -hmm. and uh i've started getting manga and i'm really appreciating the black and white art and then like i just read uh blacksmith from ahoy and it was beautiful um i really dug the the preview uh that i got for um the drumsticks of destiny that was a joke <laughs> i know it's drumsticks of doom uh but and then as like and we're gonna move to breakneck and like breakneck is insanely gorgeous every page like and i i just i have this new appreciation of, of black and white comics and i i i think i have manga to thank for that but it like i'm starting to i'm I, the colorists are wildly important and do awesome stuff but i don't know like black and white's just it's kind of special it has a different vibe and and i just dig it i i grew up on the tick and teenage Mutant ninja turtles before they got color and you know, so to me, I always gravitate towards comedy as black and white. Hmm. Like, if, I can't conceive of doing a comedy comic that would have color. I want it to be black and white. But, you know, mm -hmm. with 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 the fantasy and there's texture and Ignacio, I will, I'll, I'm going to pull you in and ask you to kind of talk about it. When you know something's going to be black and white, does that change the way you attack the page? Totally. Yeah, yeah I I. I, I I usually define a lot with the colors. So when we decide that this was going to be black and white, I, I, I did it in a sense also to challenge myself to go back to my youth when I didn't have a computer and I colored with uh, pencils or whatever, or I didn't color at all, mm -hmm. and go back to that point and do the best black and white art I can do because there's no color that can save you or that can uh, you can use as a crutch because right. sometimes you have your your short uh, shortcuts you know I, I don't have to do this because I'm gonna fix it with the color this doesn't have that this is absolutely there besides that it was a challenge because 
uh, Gerald did a script that involved a, a monster in the rain uh, smoking and it's made of embers but he made it a werewolf so yeah. I couldn't say yeah. no yeah. I knew his weakness yes <laughs> werewolves you know I, I've always kind of considered black and white to be a bit more punk you know it seems like it's a bit more raw <laughs> and more I guess more accessible you know because of the uh, you know Kevin and I are kind of about the same age so uh, you know seeing the seeing a lot of the indie stuff you know from the late 80s you know in the early 90s it just that's that's kind of the vibe that a lot of the that's my initial take on a lot of the black and white stuff but you know black and white can really be anything right mm -hmm. I mean we can do yeah you can do a lot with it mm-hmm what about you Pat like I know De destiny's all in black and white too and it, and it's yeah. it's you know real it's it's real emotional and it, it carries a different vibe than some of these other comics we're talking about but the in uh, prison witch is black and white too correct the, the, or are you coloring that no, that, yeah, that's black and white too. I am. Okay. I'm a big advocate for black yeah. and white. I feel like, um, you know, just like you said, uh, a colorist plays an essential role in comics, but there is such a beautiful area where we can go and live in black and white and see it happen in ways that are, you know, as diverse as you would see a colored page. There's um, black and white that has just the bare lines and still manages to be complete. There is what I do is more black and white with grayscale shading. That that is what I like to create. And I think that um, the idea of uh, black and white as unfinished art that we uh, see talked about in comics sometimes, that to me is wrong. I think that there is such a great. Uh, a, a, a great place where black and white art lives in both in comics history and mm -hmm. comics present in a what I see as an increasing uh, movement in indie comics. Well said. I wonder, did Kevin, did you get us all together? Because we're all is this a black and white revival. Will and I always create a theme, and we want to see if everybody figures it out. And yeah. the theme is we uh, invite people we think are nice and have good projects on. And then when the show starts, we realize there's a theme, and we go, "Holy shit, this is a black and white show!" So uh, the theme was, "Yes, holy shit, this is the black and white show." All of the art on every page is incredible, and it's it's perfect. I I. I'm of the opinion that either one, I'm fine with. I, you know, if someone comes to me and says, I've got a black and white comic, I'm no more or less likely to back it or buy it at a convention. Um, I've had people tell me, well, you've got a color under wars, your comedy comic, if you want it to be published. And I'm like, well, I guess I don't want it to be published because it's a comedy comic. So it's black and white. I, I don't, you know, like, you know, like that's not my, my thing, but um, does, is anybody else? I mean, obviously everyone here is publishing a black and white comic. So it doesn't bother you guys. Uh, have you run into that prejudice that you've been pushing your books? Uh, sometimes, yeah. It's um, less from the reader and more from publishers. Uh, and not in that negative of a way even, but in, you know, when I'm selling Destiny New York or Prison Witch at a convention, sometimes a publisher will come and they'll be like, oh, I would love to publish this if you want to color it. And I'll be like, I, I, I don't though, you know, I don't. <laughs> it's uh, 
it's as complete as it is. What I would do is, after the whole run of my series are done, I would, just as like a bonus gift to fans down the road, I would love to do like a hardcover color uh, reprint. But I just love the idea of starting something in, in a humble way and just finishing it in that unique way that you started from, you know, just from jumping, keeping consistent. So, yeah, uh, yeah uh, publishers are definitely in the... I mean, DM publishers especially are in the mindset of, you know, it has to be color. But I think that we might be beginning to move away from that because uh, Black Mask had no problem wanting to pick up Destiny New York and just keep it as is. Uh, and Image, I mean, their biggest indie book ever you know, is in black and white. So I'm thinking that we're going to be in a phase where hopefully we're going to be hearing less of that kind of stuff from publishers that... If it were colored, we would do it. No. So basically, every, every colorist saying, is just watching the show. We they're like, no, no, not at all. I mean, like Dave Stewart is the unsung hero of comics. I will never. I, I have plenty of comics in color, but I do yes. think, like, like he said, there is a home for it when it fits. There'll be yeah, plenty of work for the colorists. <laughs> yeah, you know, like so I made the joke, Pat Shand will bone it, but that's what uh, Matt has done. He he finished all of Bone in Black and White. It's, yeah. it's the greatest. It's on my yeah. Mount Rushmore comics. And uh, they've gone back through when it was done and, and colored it so they can sell it, uh, you know, to younger oh, yeah. kids who are less likely to grab the black and white. And it's... And it's, it is beautiful, but I, I am definitely a traditionalist on bone. I'd like that black and white because that's the way it, it started for me. Well, yeah, and I, he still yeah. keeps publishing in black and white first because uh, uh, two keys in black and white and Russell is in black and white. And I have to agree with Ignacio. I think a black and white book, I, I think it shows that an artist can act, actually has more control because there's not going to be color to separate the foreground, the middle ground, and the background. You know, there's not going to be that extra stuff there to help with the storytelling. It has to all be there in just the black and white lines. So it's, it's kind of harder to do, and those that can pull it off, that's uh, mad skills and mad props to all of them. Yeah, so speaking how- of mad skills... Uh, uh, Chris had a, a great experience with a mad skills artist that came to save the day in his in his story, in his script. Right. right. Let's, let's hear that. And then, Gerald, please, after that story, uh, let us know sure. how you brought your dream team together. Absolutely. Chris, go. Yeah, well, so I had a another artist on my uh, short when I freeze, freeze hell over that uh, had some complications going on. Um, when we decided to put it all together and uh but i'm always looking for artists and i'm always scouting so i found marco del forno um and sent him a message and he's amazing he does a lot of work for me now like we're working on a card game together um and he's doing amazing art for that um but yeah he showed up was like all right let's get this done and did it in like a a couple weeks in insane breakneck speed actually hey there you go that's on point yeah, and it was it was an amazing. It was really awesome, actually, and uh, we really clicked. We really vibe with. Uh, he he likes how I write. I, I love his character designs, and uh, and we both sort of vibe with the different types of content that we like. And just talking about this discourse about black and white, I grew up a lot on um, the sequential art of manga. So like black and white is like as Blake is saying, like that's all you really get. So like it's never seen as like a quality thing to me because 
especially with manga, it's mostly about getting the story out like weekly. Um, it doesn't really matter as much like what. I mean, it, it looks great, but you don't really need that color to deliver a product that people really connect with. It's really more about the story and how um, the artists and generally in manga, they're the same person, the artist and the writer, and how they are you know telling that that story um, through the medium. Um, but yeah, so Marco is amazing and he's, he's insane. And we came up with this really awesome short. And uh, yeah, I'll let uh, Jared keep going about uh, this dope anthology. Cool. Uh, so yeah, Breakneck Fantasy Anthology was born out of two things. The first one was wanting to recreate the awesomeness of things like uh, Savage Sword of Conan. Uh, I, I collect Conan books now. I have a stack of something like 75 Savage Swords uh, in boxes that I'm slowly going back and reading through again. Uh, but the other thing was creating a space that would help new creators find those first publishing credits. Uh, it is very hard for a brand new creator, even one who is paying attention and doing all their research and doing their due diligence and acting professional with other people to find those places to partner for small projects. Um, so my goal was both on a selfish front of I've, I've published little things here and there, not in comics. And so my first goal was, convince Ignacio to finally draw <laughs> and finish something for something that will be published because we worked that on was the easy part <laughs> that was yeah. the easy part because I put werewolf it in the first like couple panels and he was like I'm in I don't care what else it is um but it was reaching I, I spend a lot of time or I spent a lot of time the uh, subreddit comic book collabs um, and there's lots of people there who, who who want to create, who want to form these partnerships, but they think, I have to make my series. I have to make my world. I have to make my big thing to enter comics. And through all my research, through all my trying through years, it's no, like you can do that. There's people who make that happen, but you don't know what you don't know the first thing you make will likely be the worst thing you make because you're not practiced. You don't have the muscles yet. You need to know how to finish something before you can start something bigger. Um, so my love of Savage Sword, but also uh, this idea of get a space for creators to be able to do something and something and see it published. Um, kind of kind of that black, that black and white mentality because we're keeping costs as low as possible mm -hmm. as a writer one of the one of the things when i went from prose to comics was i don't know what the end goal is on all these scripts i'm writing because i don't have thousands of dollars to pour out to get an artist to show me what my script looks like um so six so six pages is what we set it at every inside inside the anthology is six pages <laughs> So you're uh, telling me I could have get thousands of dollars instead of doing this for free? <laughs> no, he said he didn't have I don't. I don't have thousands. If I had thousands of dollars, in Matthew, we already have a D&D inspired miniseries going. Um, but that's, that's, that's just how it is. I mean, that's great to hear you say. I, I started very similarly. I was, I was part of a, a message board because I'm old uh, for the 11 o'clock comics podcast and, and, 
you know, they kept saying, we, we've been trying to get anthologies off the ground. And I said, you know what? I know nothing about this. I barely know how to use Photoshop. I said, I'm going to do it. And some some of the artists still come up to me this day. Oh, that was the only time I've ever seen myself in print. And thank you so much. We actually did three volumes. And then I went on to Banthology. It's such a satisfying experience to really help people. Uh, you know, I wanted to see my stuff out there too. But, you know, I spent the first 10 years of my career really... Uh, trying to create spaces, you know, for my friends and people I would meet that that didn't really have a home and wanted to tell, uh, you know, reasonable stories. You know, I couldn't publish their, you know, long runs. You know, it just mm -hmm. just doesn't happen. But you know, that's so cool to hear you hear you say that because that it is such a satisfying experience. And some of my best, you know, friends were made through that process. Even one creator, uh, he works on Star Wars, Nick Brokenshire. Uh, we're working together soon. He, I published his first work ever in print. And I didn't even know oh. at the time. And then now, 10 years later, he's working on books like, you know, Star Wars and mm -hmm. Star Wars Adventures. And it's like that is very satisfying for me. And we're still in contact. And, and it's just it, you, you, you can't replicate that experience any other any other way than, than helping people. Did yeah. you guys take submissions or did you reach out? Did, were you did you reach out to people? I specifically reached out to including including Chris. Chris and I have been Chris and I have been talking about Connor uh, uh, probably almost as long as Ignacio and I about a year and a half, uh, maybe going on two years now. Years now, um, so I specifically to him, I reached out, I reached a few other people at least to let them know I was issuing submissions, and then I opened them up on comic book collabs and Twitter, and I just pushed it out there, uh, and I got super lucky in that, in that I had interjinjinub. Times about, times about some D and D stuff, so I kind of messaged him and was just like, "Anthology, anthology, you got anybody in it?" In it, he was he was very kind in, in how he said no. Um, <laughs> I, I, sh I shot my shot and uh, got turned down, but he, my professionalism and my my uh, the way I was way I was talking about the project and being very upfront and earnest about the truths behind everything impressed him enough that he gave us a uh, shout out when our submissions process was live and that got a more a more uh bandwidth than any of the stuff i was doing uh and then after that i was like well if i got jim sub to do that and he helps out with uh comic school stuff and that kind of thing what if i just see if Gail Simone will retweet retweet us, and so I sent uh, a message to her, and she retweeted one of our uh, submissions posts. So that was great. Less bandwidth than uh, Zeb. Zeb, I just I got to put it out there. More Zeb than Gail than Gail Simone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it, it's very interesting. It's the the a, a huge audience that is there for Gail's extraordinarily fun, entertaining. Twi like she makes my Twitter day. Um, but Jim Zub is on Twitter talking process and and people were really interested in making indie comics, whereas Gail Simone's, you know, is a big two writer. And I bet you she could get more bandwidth for, you know, John Star Wars artist than an indie yeah. and vice versa with Jim Zub. So, yes, a, a smaller audience that is more dedicated to what you're doing may end up paying off a lot better than an enormous uh, audience mm -hmm. that that is there for a different reason yeah. but it's still it, it never hurts yeah oh yeah no uh, when we opened uh, 
the submissions, we didn't know what we were in for because we got <laughs> a ton of, of submissions. And after, it's crazy because sometimes you don't think about this stuff, but uh, we did the anthology. We have enough material for issue two already. And then I start promoting the Kickstarter and I contact one of uh, one person that I worked with in the past, that's Jeff Marriott. Jeff Marriott was the vice president of Image at some point. And we did a, a, a small project together and we have a cordial relationship. And he's really supportive of me. And, and, I, and I sent him the anthology link and he told me, hey, how come I'm not in this anthology? I wrote <laughs> official Conan books. I want in. And I say, okay, you're in. Next time, <laughs> you're in. what can I say? I mean, you can argue with. <laughs> you're promising spots to people? <laughs> Dude, he wrote Conan officially. <laughs> official okay. Conan novels, dude. It, it sounds like a good person to give a yes to. I, yeah. I agree with yeah. that. Now, we will, we will circle back if we have time, but I want to make sure that we get to prison, which... Um, as it bef before I get I get a tired. So um, Pat, I'm gonna pull up the page and if you could talk about Prison Witch, I know that this is the third and you say final volume. Is this final final or is this comic book final? Oh uh, no, it's final final. I um, okay. I like a good definitive end, you know, uh, a heart out. And okay. uh, I mean, we would do like a spinoff of one of the characters or a, pre a prequel, but this is the end of the series for sure. Um, and, and, and that actually, too, I, I think has brought in some more readers because, uh, you know, uh, we, we did volume one and volume two and um, volume two didn't see us grow the way that the uh, next volumes of Destiny New York did. So we thought it would be good to, you know, uh, finish off what we still had a pretty strong readership. But then this has been kind of taken off in a way that I didn't expect. Um, so yeah, this is uh, you're seeing the art by Erica Dierso that that uh, kind of recaps the first two volumes. Uh, she did um, volumes one and two, and uh, then she uh, did um, a series called Infernal Girl Red at Image, uh, mm -hmm. and now she's back. Uh, she's doing um, a framing story for us that uh, uh, is a flash forward of the characters who do make it out uh, after uh, prison and uh, sort of details their life uh, during that time. And we're joined in the main story by uh, Carola Borelli, uh, who's taking over the, uh, you know, main timeline duties. And uh, she is an artist on Destiny New York, on Vampire Emmy and the Garbage Girl. Uh, I've worked with her through the, through the years, and she's done a great job uh, both bringing her own style and continuing the aesthetic of Prison Witch, which is a sort of... um. You know, it's the grayscale art, but it's a touch, uh, a, a touch grittier while also being more whimsical than than our Destiny New York. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. I was I I missed the first two volumes, and I saw this. I was extraordinarily happy to see that I could get all three for only fifty five dollars. That is a very enticing um, price point because you do your vol your your volumes are kind of Charlie Stickney volumes. Yeah. Uh, how many pages is each volume? Uh, this is one of our shorter series. So we do, uh, volume one is around, I think 70 volume two, probably 65 or so 64. And, um, volume three is going to be about 80. Uh, so, so almost 200 yeah. pages for $55. That's uh yeah, that's a pretty darn good deal. 
Yeah. Yeah. And Pat, I remember, uh, I think on your later update or maybe your newsletter, you mentioned uh, having uh, Jen uh, St. Ange doing, and there it is, Jen's Gems. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is, uh, uh, Jen's Gems is a program that my company, Space Between Entertainment, is doing all through the year. Uh, we're going to do six of them where uh, Jen St. Ange is going to do uh, a variant cover. Uh, for every single book that I kickstart this year. It's starting here on Prison Witch Volume 3. Uh, and we price the variants very, very uh, uh, close to the main standard price because we want everyone who wants one to be able to afford one easily. And uh, yeah, we're doing six of those. I'm very excited because she is, to me, she is one of the top artists in comics. We worked with her uh, both on interiors and covers in the past. And uh, she has such a knack for... Um, uh, her own specific style while also just beautifully bringing to life the characters in a way that honors the artists who created them. I'm still mad, sad, heartbroken that I didn't get her variant for smoke weed, see the future. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I kept thinking about it, thinking about it and, and I didn't get it. And, and I, yeah, yeah anyway, that, that, she's well, been a phenomenal artist. I'll tell you this, if you want, I'll hold one to you because that's the one book where that cover did so well. We're ordering so many more of the variant than the, than, than the standard cover. So I will hold one for you. <laughs> nice. Well, if, if you're in the holding mood, uh, I, I missed her <laughs> thirsty cover. So uh, oh yeah, yeah for, sure. We'll talk. for sure, for sure, for <laughs> sure. In the private chat, Pat's going to make uh, an extra hundred and eighty dollars for the campaign, <laughs> which is beautiful. So Pat, how, bring on, bring on. Um, I noticed that you and your wife Amy are co-writers on this. Yeah. Um, how do you put the story together with her? What, who wears what hats in the writing of this? What we do with this, um, Prison Witch is a bit different in that it started out through conversation and really developed in text. Um, when we were creating the characters, uh, I, I would be like, text me an idea for a character today. And she texted me the idea for uh, our, our Rizzo character, who is a green witch who runs the coven. And I texted her back the idea for Cat Lady, uh, who is in prison because she was, you know, um, upset that the uh, kill shelter uh, that was opening up by her was not a uh, no kill shelter. You know, that they actually uh, euthanized cats. So she did what any good person would do and went down there and shut the place up. So she's in prison for that. And, and uh, so, yeah, we would each introduce characters who had either you know, a good reason to not be in society or an unfair reason and explore that, you know, that way. Um, and we, we did that through text. And then what we started to do was um, we would, once we had the idea for a chapter, I would go on uh, the, the computer and break it down into pages and say what happens on each page. I would then give that to Amy to add uh, the dialogue that she would want on that page, uh, about half of the dialogue, then I would go on and take her physically written notes and uh, type that up and add my dialogue and just uh, kind of go all, all over it to make sure it, that it all gels together. And then uh, when the letters come in, we go through them together and we fine tune here and there. And th that's actually how, how we did both uh, this and Thursday. Wow. Cool. I have a question for Pat. Yeah. Uh, given your the number of Kickstarters you are you have run and the situation that happened this time that this is your first, if I'm not mistaken, this is your first Kickstarter in, in fund in 24 hours, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So 
given the amount of knowledge you have uh, about the inner workings of the platform, what is it that you think did it this time? I think, see, it's always such a convergence of things that it could be, you know? Um, I think that number two went kind of unnoticed because I was already running a series and people were adjusting to the idea of me doing Destiny New York as an ongoing, you know, every year volume. So the idea of following two series that had a similar magic theme uh, from me on Kickstarter might have not been, um, you know, back in the earlier days of, of my campaigns too interesting for people. Uh, but now that they've seen how different prison, which ended up developing, I think that maybe people who read one are going to give three a try again. But I also strongly think that the idea that it's the end, you know, that it's the finale. People like, especially now, the idea of binging things. You know, I uh, yeah. I can't tell you how many people I know who will uh, buy single issues and not trade weight and realize by the time that, that the trade comes out, they already have all the single issues and they haven't read any of them because they prefer to binge anyway, you know? Yeah. Uh, so the idea that people could go on and get the entire three-volume series and binge from start to finish and have a complete arc that definitely I think appeals to people. So the f finale idea being in there is big. I think um, uh, the Jen St. Ange uh, part of it might be a, a big draw. And finally too, um, thirsty, my campaign that I did last December uh, was my biggest one and Kickstarter. I, I always praised it for its update system in that it essentially creates through each campaign a mailing list for you where everyone who's on that list is someone who provably wants to spend money on your work. Mm -hmm. So the fact that thirsty really pushed the uh, campaigns that came afterward, I think is proof that the more you invest in Kickstarter and the, and the longer you spend and, and the more campaigns that you bring to it, the better chance that you're going to have to keep, you know, doing better every time, as long as you follow through the backers, it's important that you, you know, treat backers as you would want to be treated by any business. Yeah, and, I, I was about to interject that you have a proven track record of delivering on what you tell people you're going to deliver. So one time, two times, that's something. But four, five, six, seven times in a row, yeah. I'm getting the books from this person. And I don't think, I personally don't ever know if anybody's on time, but I know when I haven't gotten something. Oh, yeah, for know? sure. Absolutely. And I think that too... Um, even because everything going on right now is crazy as far as <laughs> port yeah. delays, you know, my um, vampire Emmy, I was told by the printer that I, I would receive it in November and it was here in the country in November on a boat. And then it was off the boat in January. So, so that is a thing that I couldn't predict, mm. but I make it a point to no matter what's happening with the campaign, to have something to say in an update every single month and to le never let a month's time uh, pass by without me having checked in with a campaign that's still active and just letting people know that even though I might not be able to like sneak onto a boat and like get the books that I <laughs> am thinking about it. And as soon as, you know, as soon as those books are, off that boat, I'm ready to go. And, and I'll check in with the printer and, and have little updates here and there, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah. I think it's important to, e even if something prevents you from really following through to say, I'm going to follow through still, this is, this is the situation, but no, I'm going to follow through. 
Yeah. I think every writer on this panel just looked at Ignacio and thought, I wonder, I wonder if he'll uh, draw a comic book guy sneaking onto a bo boat to get a six hundred books. <laughs> thriller. Exactly what I, thought, yep. <laughs> I immediately thought about it. So okay. <laughs> You know, hey, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go till twelve, and at twelve oh one, we're gonna turn this into a tag team. Uh, wait, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven writers. It's gonna be a seven-page uh, mini. Uh, <laughs> we were talking with Gerald about doing uh, an experiment for a future issue of the anthology, but it, it got crazy. But it yeah. it, it involved uh, different creative teams working on the same story. So this is yeah. sort of that way too. That's that's a nice fifth year anniversary oh. uh, Kickstarter, <laughs> the, the <laughs> experiment. Yeah, of course. I, I gave an idea and then Ignacia went, okay, but what about all of this? <laughs> oh, it's, nice, it's nice for you where you'll draw three pages and then I'll manage 800 people. <laughs> well, here's a quick question for you guys um who's gonna be doing fulfillment on the i mean pat obviously you're the you're the man and we know you do fulfillment but on these other two campaigns who's who's handling fulfillment ignacio just washed his hands <laughs> <laughs> you know what but but i i'm gonna say this 98 percent of the creators that fulfill are the writers the only artist i know of that fulfills this campaign is Ryan Kroboff. And I'm sure there are others, but he's the one I can name. But I think that that's fair because the hours of labor on a 22-page comic for a writer and the hours of la labor on the same comic for an artist are not even close to the same amount, even if you're a writer that goes through drafts after drafts after drafts. So I don't mind being the the person fulfilling because that's my hours on the project. I That's personally me. Uh, if I had a writer, I, I mean, an artist who wanted to fulfill, I would let them. But um, <laughs> yeah. but I, Ignacio, I think you're fair to wash your hands of this based <laughs> no, on, no, on I, the I mean, that being said, I would totally do it. If, I, if we were in the same Pole, basically, because I'm in Argentina, I'm in the South Pole, yeah, Gerald yeah. is in Canada. But if we were in the same city, uh, I would totally be there. I mean, Fort Lauderdale's kind of in the middle, guys. You can meet down here. <laughs> People I gotta guess better. inviting us to Florida, man. <laughs> you know what? Why don't, why don't we wait until the big C's gone? Because Florida doesn't really do a very good job of protecting anyone. So I don't want to send anything back to Argentina or Canada. <laughs> well yeah you see my my latest uh book is right back here getting ready for fulfillment so uh yeah it, it, like kevin said I, I i think that that's a reasonable division of labor but i also do enjoy doing it i i enjoy having the books here and packaging them up see you know remembering who who backed you know having all the little tchotchkes that you get to put in there i i don't actually mind the process that's a that's a good point like those names that all of you sudden become friends of yours that you've never met you've never talked to but mm -hmm. the third fourth fifth sixth seventh time you're seeing the name you're like oh yeah you know without without Car carlo this wouldn't be a kickstarter so thank <laughs> thank you carlo you know like and if he's listening i am specifically saying you carlo in canada um, wow. 
Uh, but Danny Morales, who runs the collective just outside of Orlando, says you guys can meet there. You know, and if you guys meet in, in Orlando, I will try to drive up and be there. So, <laughs> well, you know, you were talking about uh, little Chosky's and thing, and uh, Kevin brought up Brian Kroboth, who's an awesome artist and, and a pretty good friend. He always puts in uh, these little ninjas. Uh, so he. Uh, He's got a whole big bag of them, and they protect the art and the comics or whatever during their trip <laughs> to you, <laughs> who has backed his sketchbook or his or his Sunmaker book or whatever. It's 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 really cool. I look forward to getting the little ninjas now. It's one of those cool things that uh, we get as Kickstarter backers. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of little ninjas, I got a bone to pick with Chris. Um, <laughs> <with> me? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot wait to find out where the fuck this is going. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so we, I interviewed Chris uh, a while back, and and he right. was talking about how excited he was about about Breakneck Anthology. And I I'm super impressed with Chris's sci-fi. He's very good at sci-fi, and it's, he's also Thank really you. good at, at fantasy. And I just don't think it's very fair that you can just <laughs> excel in all these genres and tell these really badass stories. And and anyway, I just uh, Ignacio sent me the issue, and and it's just I love it, and I want every I want everybody listening to know that it's like well worth your money, and it's beautiful. And but Chris, I really dug your story, and the hell freezes over motif, and mm -hmm. we we talked about some of the other stuff, but but no one no one mentioned your bit, and I, I really I really uh, dug it. And they said that artist knocked it out in like a. Couple weeks, weeks? Couple, couple, couple weeks, weeks. Yeah. couple weeks, couple weeks, couple yeah. weeks, two, three weeks. First, it was first one from the least finished short to done, and everyone else still needed pages. Need pages. <laughs> yeah, we just we went we went crazy on it, and uh, yeah, th thanks, Blake. I appreciate that. I mean, I just like to tell crazy stories. I like have a vision of like what I want to see, what I want to read, and it's not always delivered in mainstream stuff. And so that's why I love comics. I can do my own vision. I don't have any gatekeepers on how I'm supposed to tell whatever story I want to tell. I, it looks exactly how I want it to look. And um, yeah, I mean, that's just what I want to do. When I freeze hell over is like a, a loves uh, my love for, for manga. Um, because when I heard black and white and I heard fantasy, I was like, okay, well, um, to me, that's what black and white is. As I said, that's what I sort of grew up on. And so, uh, and Marco, that's, Marco, that's I think with the, a lot of the younger generation of you know comic creators, um, manga is a huge heavy influence on on, on all of us. It's just um, just as it was in, for a lot of creators in like the '90s and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, we we put we threw it together, and uh, it was it was a fun story to make. Uh, it's 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 always fun to have a, a, a like a a character that hopefully people can um relate to and uh, hopefully we'll be able to see more of it in a uh, future Blake anthology issues uh i think gerald and i have already talked about returning potentially for issue three um and so that would be that'd be pretty awesome and uh we'll hopefully see where sickly and uh kimmy end up that's so very Chris, cool can i ask do yeah. you attack a fantasy story and a sci-fi story in the same manner or different and if it's different what is the difference I think I attack every story that I do sort of similarly. Um, I also write uh, noir stuff. I have a um, uh, noir story following a 
contact tracer in a world where people are anthropomorphized microbes uh, called Soma City. So think Black Sad meets Osmosis Jones. Uh, and these are all books that uh, Jared is a, a an editor on. Uh, he's, he edits almost all my books, him yeah. and uh, Peter Hambusi. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I approach all of them around the, uh, basically the same. I like to get, you know, the sort of watch the things or read the things in the genre that I think um, relate to what I want to say. Uh, and then, you know, I find an artist that I vibe with, I create a story Bible and then, uh, then we're off to the races, you know? And um, uh, so, yeah, I, I, they don't, the, the process isn't too different. Um, it's just mostly just trying to get into it and then having something to say and something cool to show because it's always important to remember of how visual comics are. Mm -hmm. And it's also important to remember that like, comic artists want to tell fucking dope stuff they don't want to tell like anything that's lame they want to tell stuff that's like really fun to draw because as we've said like they're going to be spending hours and hours and days and days on this project and if they have to like draw one more talking heads scene or they have to draw so like just character walking down hall one more time they're going to blow their brains out so like it's always fun to remember that we have to like make it exciting make it interesting for the, for everyone not just to like read but also to create um you know when the colorist comes on they want to have fun and be like okay how can we make this really exciting if it's just like you know indoor lighting in an office it's probably going to be a little boring for them too so I, I just try to make it fun and have fun with it since that's that's what the whole medium's about is there a writer trick on the panel for making quote unquote boring scenes interesting for your artist? Action, definitely. Action. Like having them doing something and not just like talking back and forth to each other. Well, how many writers here have seen uh, Wally Wood's 22 panels that always work? Yep. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, now I'm like, I don't know what's going to go on here. Let's do that one, you know? <laughs> you know? That always works. <laughs> so what I noticed in with reading Breakneck is a lot of these, um, a lot of your shorts, they, they, they all end well, right? Like they, they have a nice ending and a nice arc, but it seems like a lot of them you could go more. And obviously, like, yeah. uh, you're, you're, the campaign's doing well. It's, you know, like, and people are interested in it, so... I'm you guys have talked have already mentioned that you were going to have multiple volumes, hopefully, you know, if all things go right. Are you um, I mean, are you planning on having people back on to, to like extend these stories and or, or is it um, on that note? Would you rather would you rather bring in new teams? Because um, that's, that's got to be like a decision to balance, too, like because you want to like you mentioned, this is like a platform to help new creatives. Uh, mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. uh I'll just take one moment to do mic check. Do I sound okay now that I've swapped headphones? <laughs> okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, sorry, I'm on a tablet. I'm not at my usual computer station with the background and everything. Um, no, it's it's fine. The problem is that Will and I aren't are technophobes, so we can't do anything. We just sit here and go. I hope that uh, is okay. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, the intention is that uh, Ignacio and I, unless Ignacio gets super busy when he gets booked for some big new project, uh, <laughs> we are going to have a recurring set of characters with the Crypt Sisters. Uh, it'll be a new short story every time. Um, Maybe a loose uh, storyline between them as they progress kind of thing. But those will, those will be the only characters we see every issue. 
Uh, we're planning to, I know Chris wants to do more with when I freeze hell over. So um, we'll probably, if he's interested, unless he wants to bring it somewhere else, uh, probably issue three, we'll see uh, the next step in that. Um, but most of these stories are stories to be one shots. We want, we wanted that kind of future shock sort of uh, get in, get out, tell the story. I know Elizabeth Mahades, uh her story, Tale of Zeron, she has done a whole bunch of background work. I think she's probably got a, a much bigger story about uh, Prince Zeron um, that she's got sitting somewhere developing. Uh, so I'm excited to see her work more with that. She hasn't mentioned wanting to do more with Zeron, uh, but she's, she, she's a solo creator who brought me in a pretty much complete finished story. Uh, and it is amazing. Like I've, I've said it before, she should just get hired by Wizards of the Coast to do D and D comics and uh i'm sure everyone will be happy with what she produced because she is awesome well i put up a banner i'm gonna i'm gonna sneak one of one of the projects that we're going to talk about later uh, up in the show uh thoughtscape comics matt mayor lowry is the writer and it's sort of his own anthology world and it's on zoop zoop.gg slash c slash thoughtscape comics um, his is an anthology. It's in the fifth dimension. The fifth dimension is where all thoughts ever conceived are recorded. And he has kind of a, you know, a framing sequence where people are going in to get the thoughts and bring them out. And then he's got short stories that may or may not have anything to do with that. So those characters are in both volumes of Thoughtscape. And there's another short that you learn a lot about in volume one and in the second volume they use the same characters and i i i kind of i can't i will not spoil it because it's too incredible of a piece but reading volume one and then reading volume two the story made me cry made me think made me get philosophical and then made me angry all in about a five page <laughs> span because I had read That's the volume before power. and he came back to these characters. So I think it's a great idea to at least with one of your short stories, give people something to come back to in that way. I think that's a, a fabulous idea. And I, I brought up Thoughtscape because I literally have seen it work on a, mm -hmm. on a project that's currently live. So I think it's a great I'm idea. I'm feeling all those emotions right now. Cause Matt didn't let me read volume two. Oh. Like, I am, I am, I am sad and angry and anxious. Um, listen, I didn't, I didn't know I was throwing you under the bus. I did oh, not you, know you, that. I, Matt. You, you didn't just throw me under the bus. You ran me over, then backed up to hit me again. Um, but I do want anybody listening, watching the show or who will listen to it later, like, please go to Zoop and, and back Matt's campaign. It is a beautiful comic. It is cerebral and wonderful and chaotic mm -hmm. in, in all the best ways. And I, I love Kickstarter. I love backing mm -hmm. on Kickstarter. But there are some opinions floating around right now. And if you're one of those opinionated people, like, try, try an alternate crowdfunding source. Uh, Zoop is run by good people. Mm -hmm. They have my credit card info. I'm not scared. Like, go... <laughs> Go there, back Thoughtscape. Give it, give it a try. It's it's beautiful. Uh, the digital editions are affordable, but 
they are very though he's very good at whoever he has print them like the the physical copies are something you want if you love sci-fi if you love good comics matt's good dude go to zoop check it out yeah. uh anyway sorry Thank yeah you. no my theory <laughs> on it is we need as many strong fertilized crowdfunding sites that will uh, give indie comics a home yeah. uh yeah that, i'm not running away from kickstarter um but i would rather there be a strong kickstarter and a strong zoop than oh, yeah. a strong kickstarter and no zoop and Zoop's um, just fun to say. Like it's it just fun. <laughs> fun words. Uh Gerald, I got a quick question for you. Um, yep. One of the things I think that's helped me personally is engaging with an editor, you know, having another set of eyeballs on the work, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as it as as it's being made. You know, you're you know, with this anthology, you're probably the first time that these creators have interfaced with an editor so how how, how has that uh, kind of been on you know from from your point of view shouldn't we be asking ignacio and chris <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so i think that's a good idea to ask ignacio and chris actually uh i'll say where i'm where i started from in this which is um um i come out of a big push to try and do prose publishing i wanted to write i wanted to write i wanted to be i wanted to write sci-fi novels and so i did a lot of a lot of time and effort uh figuring out the literary agent world and figuring out the publishing world there and the many tight times we also see in comics comics uh, and all of that put together i said to myself when i wanted to do this my goal was get back to everyone and because I am trying to establish myself as as a comic editor, this like I've done editing for Chris, but it's been story editing. It hasn't been project managing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I said goal to goal to respond to everyone as they came in, and if I'm saying no, give them any sort of feedback. Why I mm-hmm. I didn't want to send anyone away with just a blanket no. Uh, that took an emotional toll on me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it is, it is much harder to tell someone no, and here's why. Um, <laughs> and we had just over fifty submissions, and there's four, like, Ignacio and I are one, so there were only four spots in the first book, and I had already been planning things with Chris, so I was only really looking to fill three. And I still ended up promising four more spots for a second <laughs> issue. Um, but that's still me saying no and here's why to 42 projects. Yeah. Um, so moving on from there, it became a lot happier of a process. And I was, I was much more uh, happy to be engaged in working with people. Um, and Chris and Ignacio can tell me how I did so far from that side, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you've been doing really well, man. We've been working together for, like I said, about a year and a half. He's basically start uh, read everything that I've I've written. I mean, I think he's you got a few sc- uh, scripts in the in the backlog right now, uh, Jared. I'm gonna put yeah, you on the spot I right know. now. You got, you got about like three I'm or four scripts. <laughs> um, but Chris, you know, Chris, we had Gerald in for a 
14 hour pre-show uh prep so yeah that's on us <laughs> okay okay i mean there's a this is this all right i'll i'll take that i'll take the excuse it's fine it's fine i'm not salty at all you know i didn't just write some of the best stuff ever that are just waiting in your inbox but yeah it's it's always been great he's always given really um good feedback i think i've i've gravitated towards jared because he always gives me like straight like you know he doesn't ever sugarcoat his his responses to me or his his um criticism or his notes like it's always like like if he if something sucks he's like dude this sucks like if and he'll always and this translates to everything on twitter if i'm in like a sad boy era he'll call my shit out and be like dude this isn't fucking h&m dude like go like this isn't a hot topic like get off the go do something with your life um and i and i respect that so i i know that whatever um feedback i'm getting from him is is genuine and he's not um you know gonna pull his punches and i think that's a very crucial thing to have with an editor um and yeah he's i've worked with other editors uh since then but yeah he's still my favorite bud (laughs) so So, pat you run multiple multiple um series volumes i i'm gonna guess you have an editor but i don't know that for sure but you would probably be considered the project manager of your books how do you how how is that for you and and what's the hardest and uh, what do you need to work on the most and what comes naturally uh i i do run an editorial for space between um i work with uh shannon lee who is the editor-in-chief and we actually just brought on um a guy named jeff massey Uh, he was my college professor and um back when i was a staff writer at zenoscope i got him a job uh writing their oz book and uh he was great with story so i brought him on uh, as story editor so um for for story what we do is generally in the past i would just write myself and we would uh go over the the dialogue in the lettering phase and uh Mm -hmm. change things here and there and make sure that everything was working and see if we had to hire the artist to just do some more pages or not Mm -hmm. um but now we do um a story summit where we go on zoom or hopefully soon in person and uh, we meet and talk about an outline and how it's going to make that book in specifically in Destiny New York work and how it's going to feed into the whole universe that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and with with the art, that's probably the harder thing because we have so many books in production at once that we have to you know, make sure that we have time and get back to the artist as quickly as possible. Uh, so what we do is we have a Facebook chat where we will discuss the uh, the notes, the reactions to the artwork, and then I'll take all of our notes and um, I'll soften, you know, everything into the uh, most concise and nicest possible way, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, you you want to get to the heart of the note, but not in a way that is going to be a hurtful way, but a helpful way, because mm-hmm. sometimes a piece of art just won't work. And when you have a, an established universe that has had multiple people drawing multiple characters for years, um, there are instances where a piece of art is so far off. So you have to be able to look at it and examine how you can say in a constructive way, uh, things that would lead the artist down a way that they could make this happen in a way that would be mm-hmm. acceptable for the book. And um, yet in their, in their own style. Yes, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's very difficult. And um, mm-hmm. 
it depends on the artist too. You know, you have to figure out each working relationship with each artist. Um, and if there is going to be one, you know, like I, um, I've had artists uh, test on my series before and the characters come back looking nothing like their character design. And they'll say, that's my style. When really it's just yeah. like that character doesn't have black hair though. That's why, you know, they, <laughs> that isn't the same character, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's a mix of um, trying to find, you know, f- even finding artists who could fit a title and uh, mm-hmm. testing them and doing it in a way where you're, where you only test an artist if you truly believe that they could be the one. Otherwise, you're just wasting their time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, no, the the, uh, the search for the artist for me is the hardest part because um, I I publish uh, the lowest amount of pages normally is about sixty, you know. So short of our short stories like the uh, thirsty line, mm-hmm. um, what we're hiring on is what's going to essentially amount to a long term relationship, you know, mm-hmm. over the course of a year or more. Uh, like with the current Destiny New York artist, uh, Matteo Leone, he went from uh, Cherry Gilbert uh, two years ago to Destiny New York five last year into this year, and he's going to move right on to six. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a three and a half year relationship, you know? Uh, and so you have to really uh, be able to handle both the day to day and also the long term planning on multiple books that during kind of always, you know, it's always looking toward enriching the line permanently while kind of like saving the day every day, you know? Mm-hmm. Pat, I got a question about destiny. Um, so I know you're here promoting your new Kickstarter. Um, and, but you've, you're also the, the new volume one of destiny in New York is also, it's about to come out or it already did come out. Um, the, the re-release, uh, are they, are they going to keep, um, I mean, what, I don't know if you can talk about it or not, but like, yeah. are they going to keep putting those out or is it, are they kind of like waiting to see the numbers on it? Uh, Cause they, like there's a lot more destiny to, to re-release, right. Yeah. If they keep printing them. Yeah. They're going to keep doing it for sure. Um, the thing with one was it was supposed to come out in September, um, but the paper shortages and the port mm-hmm. things have been a huge problem. So what we did was I, I actually, um, I met with black mask at my storage unit and I gave them some of mine and, and they put a sticker on the back of mine and put that in comic shops. So that came out as like a soft release. And now the main black mask volume is coming out um, hopefully next month. And while we're doing that, I'm already proofing volume two, which is going to be going to print kind of now ish, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So that that's happening then. And we're going to for sure keep doing them. Uh, One change that I will say um, that, you know, I'm not sure if I can, but since it's, you know, I do kind of run the title. So we have a pretty casual relationship as far as like when I say things, uh, the, the ongoing single issues are going to be renumbered. Uh, so we're going to end with issue, I think 14, and we're going to start doing number ones for each arc because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as much as I do love, uh, legacy numbering, um, the ongoing thing is rough and a number one just gives you an undeniable boost to retailers. So mm-hmm. we're going to start doing that, but the actual trades will re- remain the exact same with the only real change being a different cover with um, the uh, volume one cover has the, uh, the Eliza Ramboli and volume, I mean, volume two is going to have the uh, Jane St. Ange wraparound. Cool. What about the spinoffs? Are they going to do those too? Yeah. Yeah. We we're um, <laughs> we're actually just on the phone today, booking covers for gangster as priesta. Nice. Um, That's so yeah. cool, man. I'm happy for you. Thank you yeah, very much. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's going to be um, sometime this year. I, I can't say. Damn. 
cats, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, so I was going to say, I thought, I thought Black, it was an editor from Black, Black Mass. Like, <laughs> <there. laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, one thing I, that I will say too, is that we're going to start doing, trying out with one first. We're, we're going to do um, a single issue first spinoffs as well, where um, we have a book coming up that hasn't been on Kickstarter yet. And it's going to go to Black Mask first. And then after that comes out, I'll do a special edition through Kickstarter. That's a, a trade with a different cover and some like shorts or something, you know? Uh, so that'll be a brand new thing that Kickstarter hasn't seen yet too. So I have a little cool. bit of trouble cool. juggling the diamond release previews release and the Kickstarters. What do you do to um, keep yourself sane? Um, working on destiny in New York volume six and having right. volume one coming out in comic shops. So wait, are we assuming Pat is sane, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a wild assumption. Yeah. Uh, what do I do? I think that I try to, um, you know, I compartmentalize. I will do because um, the work that I do pretty much on the single issues is deciding what the cover is going to be, and um, I mean, the hardest part sometimes is the reality that, you know, I wrote as a graphic novel first. So sometimes Matt will call me Matt from black mass. We'll be like, Hey, guess what, Pat? Uh, volume five, the no, volume two, chapter five is 36 pages long. What's up with that? And I'm like, yeah, dude, you know, I didn't know about you guys, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, and that's where a break point is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what, what I, I did was in that kind of situation, I will break at a point that makes sense earlier in the issue. And if the next issue has room, pop that on there and just figure out how to, how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but pretty much I will dedicate a, a space of time to handling stuff on the single issues. Like you'll notice if you read the single issues and see the back matter that uh, my author's note, you'll see a few of them written in one day, no matter what issue it is. Like say uh, uh, 9, 10, and 11 will all be written in the same day and they'll have that date down there. Uh, because okay. I'll I'll just bang those out, get ahead for the designer, tell them what pages go where, and go there, and then get back to the work on the uh, ongoing stuff. Okay, yeah. So I um I managed two Kickstarters last year, and I think you probably did about a hundred. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, last year was my softest year because of the port issue. I like to make sure that I have um, five in some level of production or delivery. Um, so my philosophy is that, all right, Vampire Emmy arrives. As soon as I get it and start shipping, that's when Prison Witch 3 will launch. And I was planning on November for Prison Witch 3, um, but that didn't happen, you know? So I had to cancel two that I was going to do last year, kind of mush them into this year. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I do... I do a lot and I'm going to try to do more this year to make up for last year, you know? Wow. It's uh, Godspeed, my friend. Godspeed. Yeah, Godspeed and it's, it's damned impressive. So are <laughs> we still running with the, rider. <laughs> with the sanity narrative? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, do know what, I do know why he was not intimidated by the late nights. If you never sleep, who cares how long this show goes? <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I do like it. I think that probably, uh, some of you will relate in that, you know, it feels it feels good to run it. It feels good to deliver it. Every 
every part of the the uh, process is rewarding to me in some way. And mm-hmm. like like the say the day where suddenly somehow these make enough money that I could have someone del- deliver for me because I, I wouldn't want a company to do it. I would want someone who's working for me in a fair way mm-hmm. to do it in a way that I would want it done. You know, um, when that day comes, I would have to like pry it from my own hands. Cause I like to do it. And it's a break from writing. You know, the writing is really fun and cool and it, it fulfills me, but doing fulfilling work is also very tiring. It's, it's a mm-hmm. lot less tiring to just pack a book like, like 25 times in a night and put it in a box. Like that mm-hmm. is almost, it's almost like I'll, I'll just put on a podcast mm-hmm. and chill and, and my hands would be moving, but my brain isn't here, you know? <laughs> so That's Gerald, like I, and boarding. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Exactly. Oh, no. exactly. Yeah. Gerald, what, what thought have you put into the uh, fulfillment? Uh, I did a lot of research on shipping and figuring out shipping costs and all that. I'm based in Canada, uh, which makes it a little different. Most people who are ordering these things are usually going to be in the U S. So like friends and family, I can drive it to them. Um, So that's not a big deal, but shipping out of Canada is weird. And I live well right now. I'm literally five minutes from the border but um, the border has to be open for me to be able to get across or not. And who knows if they'll let me cross with 50 comic books packed up in envelopes or they'll want to open all of those comic books packed up in envelopes. Just put a bunch of prescription drugs over them. (laughs) They won't get down to the comics. Wait, did did everybody else get the thought of uh, doing another heist? Thank you to draw another heist with getting them across the border. Is that just me? So right now, I'll make it even better for you. Well, I I am upriver from Niagara Falls, right? So <laughs> all I need is a boat, and I can get there. Um, Do you draw yourself? Yeah. <laughs> 400 comics uh, in a barrel. Go. Yeah, it's just broke. <laughs> so, yeah, I've done, I've got my pricing out for all of the packaging materials I need, all that kind of stuff. It's just that, am I going to need 50 or am I, or am I going to need 150 of those or am I going to need 300 of those kind of thing? And um, I'm in that zone where I'm not sure what I don't know right now because, like, it's the first one I'm fulfilling. Yeah. Uh, doesn't matter how many questions I ask. There's always going to be another thing that I'm going to have to troubleshoot, uh, whether that's my local post office or that's getting it across the border or that's, oh, this person in Southeast Asia has ordered it and uh, how do I get it there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my biggest piece of advice is scale. don't let stretch don't let stretch goals um mm-hmm. don't get so excited about stretch goals that you ruin your campaign or make <laughs> it more expensive to deliver my first campaign mm-hmm. i was so worried about stretch goals that i immediately created a, a free print that we were going to send and so i yeah. i called up the printer and asked if they could do a print and they said yeah what size and i went said well like a piece of paper eight and a half by eleven well my comic book was (laughs) like nine by six or whatever yeah and every envelope i had bought was going to uh, 
fit that nine by six. And now I had to buy 200 more envelopes this big. <laughs> oh, and no. I added, I added just because I didn't think and didn't know. So, yeah. you know, digital stretch goals are wonderful. So if you can say that digital <laughs> oh. space for your first campaign, uh, always yeah. do and when you so can. I've said this in front of Pat before. I think I said it twice when we were talking with Travis Gibb. Um, I've pulled a lot of information off of this show. In particular, the episode you did with we're Pat so and sorry. Travis. We're so very sorry. But, <laughs> no, it's I story. still guess. I, like, that's my, what I do. <laughs> I learn best hearing people who know what they're talking about, talking about it, and I pull that information out. I'm pretty sure I've heard you tell that story before, and I have dedicated. I only have one eye. We only have one stretch goal uh, that will add anything physical, and that's another set of stickers. Yeah, uh, everything nice. else I've designed to stay digital, um, whether it's upgrades or uh, we've had some friends of the campaign give uh, books to kind of add on for all our backers as digital assets. Um we're staying as, staying as digital. If I could convince enough people to just buy digital, I would be happy to not. <laughs> but uh, that's not where the money is. That's mm. not how we're going to get funding. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, like I appreciate the conversations you guys have had that I've been able to listen in on when it's not like, I love hearing about the campaigns and learning new IPs and losing money out of my wallet. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's these conversations that we're having that's on the, cre on the creator stuff that I've really appreciated as a creator. Yeah. Uh, so I've said thank you to Pat a couple times now. Will and Kevin, thank you very much for hosting yeah. this kind of a talk. Well, you're going to have to pass that on to Tyler James because mm -hmm. the two things that I learned from him were that digital scale I have there and the thermal mm -hmm. printer. Mm -hmm. Those mm -hmm. things are so awesome and cool. have, you know, help me do a process so that I can, I know how to, I've got a process now. And, and mm -hmm. that's, that's down to Tyler because he's done, you know, done this so many times. Um, also this is a I, very a, a greedy thing for us as well is our career doesn't exist without Kickstarter slash crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. So if we can put out, this is what I screwed up. So you don't, Mm -hmm. your backers are going to be happier with crowdfunding in general and more likely to come back to a campaign. Mm -hmm. And it might be mine. It might be Will's. It might be Pat's. So if it's any one of the three of us, then us being here has paid off for us. So it's, it's kind of a greedy thing as well, because we're trying to make the Kickstarter community, the crowdfunding community, a more prosperous, successful place, because there's going to be an echo of that to our, our careers as well. Well, I mean, out, there is no true altruism, right? Like we all do, even, <laughs> even when we're selfless, we're selfish, but the two of you gentlemen, like you do so much for the community. Well, we got a, and we got a friendship show. award. So yeah, a, friendship, right, yeah. a, a Blake's Buzz Friendship and Excellence Award, the first <laughs> one ever. But I mean, I just, I, I love this show. Like it's, it's fun to watch. Yes. It cost me money. It's going to cost me tonight. Cause I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to get prison, Witch. I'm back in those, I got to get those uh, yeah. three volumes. Right. Thank and I much. really, I really no one. I can't believe no one mentioned it tonight. The, the Fellhound cat lady print, like 
when you get when you get Phil Hound to do like a stretch goal on your project, wow. I feel like it's printing money and it's kind of cheating. But I mean, like, go for it. Uh, <laughs> oh, but they're great. The, the two of you guys, wonderful. like, in your show and your platform, and just how knowledgeable you are and and friendly and and funny, like, it's you do a lot for Kickstarter and crowdfunding, and we appreciate you. Well, thank th- thank you very much. We take way more credit than we deserve, and we're not exactly. going to stop. There is the <laughs> there is the Fellhound Cat Lady. Uh, wow, that is gorgeous. But it's Fellhound, so that's yeah. not yeah. surprising that's, in the slightest. Also, please, if you're going to send out physical rewards, put it in a bag and a board, <laughs> and <laughs> don't just throw it in a bubble mailer because yeah. <laughs> that never ends well. It, just doesn't it, it rarely, it rarely does, and you have plausible <laughs> deniability if it's in a bag and a board and it comes bent. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be upset, but if mm-hmm. if it's free and it gets bent, I might be more uh, more shift, shifty eyed. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a note on shipping, um, breakneck crew. Like the, I didn't know, I didn't pay attention, but being that you're shipping from Canada, like you're. Uh, very uh, friendly in your shipping price. Like as, as opposed, yeah. like there, there are a lot of great Canadian kickstarting comics that I would love to back and get cool editions of. And I often have to get digital cause it gets expensive. So thank you mm-hmm. for being fair. Yeah. I, so I did a lot of research and I wanted to find the method that would be obviously obviously and we're not sending out a lot of physical stuff the most the most we'll send out right now is four comics if some every every one of our covers and then a postcard and some stickers and bookmarks so that the weight we're right on the edge but it's leather letter mail and the the gemini mailer gets just small enough to fit into the letter mail package (laughs) and so like I got some great prices from Canada Post uh, that when I compared it to like the U.S. Postal Service, I was like, unless I'm sending to like Buffalo, it's cheaper to do it from Canada than Buffalo. Oh, wow. That's nuts. Yeah. I don't know how it works that way, but it does. So uh, until, of course, I go to actually do it and they say, oh, we updated that last week. <laughs> yeah, the paper shortage can boost you into a higher cost without without ever yeah. you know knowing that was going to happen. It's true. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Pat, Pat, do you have a uh, a piece of advice for uh, somebody who might be fulfilling for the first time? I do. Um, I have started to do my uh, art prints as a little postcard size. Um, mm-hmm. I've noticed that not only being a good size to just tuck into the book, uh, these are very sturdy. Um, I recently collected all of the extra merch to make a little uh, area of it so I could put it up on Etsy, and I noticed that even storing my regular uh, prints in a pretty decent way, you know, the, the paper can curve. If you touch one the wrong way, it'll bend in a certain way. <laughs> I, I have these that have been just sticking around, and they are great they print very clear very glossy front um Mm -hmm. i put an ad for other kickstarters on the back um yeah i I think that those that size which you can do through vista print at a great quantity very very cheap um i that's one of my favorite personal discoveries that i've done 
Um, because I used to go through cat print and I like cat print, but they'll also, you know, sometimes resize what you do. And I think that sometimes the more simple way to go is the better is the better way, you know. You said cat print and the cat came up. It's like <laughs> yeah, the siren song. Yeah, he's um I've done a lot of live streams recently and he is getting more and more active during them. More comfortable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pets are always, always appreciated on this, uh, on this stream. Um, one thing that I've noticed is, like I said, my first campaign, I sent out a huge print uh, because I was not thinking. And then I've kind of shrunk it down and shrunk it down and gotten kind of in that five by seven range, which is near yeah. postcard. Well, they say uh, it's not the size that matters. It's the paperweight. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the only time they're going to let me on this show. As, as, as long as you pick glossy, you're all right with me. Um, I actually like those smaller postcard prints, though. Or I'm, I'm actually, I like the uh, the trading card, the bonus trading cards, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing that as uh, well. But I, I use them for bookmarks. Like, I always, yeah. I read multiple yeah. books simultaneously, and I, I always need those bookmarks like so cool. i i appreciate those but yeah you're doing a card game a destiny card game yeah i like the idea of doing something that because i um you know i collect pokemon cards and i don't play the game because it it feels very complicated to me because i'm winning <laughs> it you know <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so i wanted to do a game that was a bit more role-playing where um it's kind of a narrative game where you when we eventually have enough cards for it to be a thing that you can essentially build your own destiny, New York fanfic with the card game, you know, uh, and you could do it either solo or with a team. Um, and yeah, we're going to be doing a, a card with every campaign, at least one card for free. Um, and eventually I'll do a full Kickstarter for more of an expansion after we, you know, figure it out and stuff. But yeah, it, it's a thing I've wanted to do just because I'm such a fan of card games. You know, I, um, uh, spend quite a lot of my personal funds on, on those. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. like TikTok famous for Pokemon cards, right? Or Like, kind yeah, of? I'm, I'm, I'm always surprised when people know, yeah. I, <laughs> I only know because yeah. I listened to you last week. <laughs> I have uh, I have more followers on any of my social media platforms where I talk about writing. On TikTok where I open Pokemon cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds to me like the artists on Twitter that laments putting their own art and getting three likes and then sharing a meme and getting <laughs> nine hundred retweets. And <laughs> oh yeah, no, I mean it, it. It is very much that, and I totally get it too because you know I'm writing comics is is my art, but when I look to do something for fun, I'm gonna watch someone open Pokemon cards. <laughs> <laughs> Does, well, do you think your TikTok audience like helped your new Kickstarter campaign? Did you do any videos about about uh, Prison Witch? I did one. Um, it was blocked, kind of, and not blocked, but TikTok does shadow ban. Not, not really. <laughs> you know, they do that, but TikTok does these weird waves where they'll put out a video to a certain number of people in a pulse, and then if it does well, they'll do a second pulse. And if that does well, they'll blast it out. They, they function in a very different way than most platforms. Hmm. Um, so the more crea creative stuff doesn't really work that much on TikTok. What does is like, you know, drama. You know, if, you, if you're arguing with someone that does very well because it, it, it maintains engagement. Um, I, I don't want to do it personally. But yeah. yeah. 
You gotta you gotta WWE it, you know, yeah. find yourself another creator on TikTok and have a beef when you guys <laughs> yeah. both have a campaign running. Yeah, my, I tried uh, to do that with Blake today and he just got <laughs> right back. You're like, you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to build a narrative for Pat to enjoy. <laughs> I know he likes the beef. I do Blake like the beef, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, my uh my biggest TikTok ever was I thought going to be only viewed by the guy who I was talking to. It was like a quick clapback video um, on a, a negative comment. And then uh, I woke up the next day and it was, you know, thousands and thousands of views. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's how you do it, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't, do not understand the algorithm stuff. I, I keep, I, the, okay, so the idea of making like short comic videos is interesting. And there's a few guys on TikTok that do it. Um, yeah. And they get a lot of likes and, and views and stuff. And uh, I, I'm always thinking of like ways I can like bring people to Blake's Buzz, the podcast, right? And yeah. and and so like it, it's it's intriguing, but editing editing videos is like no, I don't ever want to do that. <laughs> it's it's so terrible. I feel I feel so dumb because there's like a seven year old that's like making little TikTok movies that are like engaging and beautiful and full of like special effects and and I the my one TikTok video is is me melting a chocolate bar in an espresso pour. <laughs> oh, that's good. No, that's good. Content. That's cool. But it was so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even do anything. I just mounted my cell phone and recorded it and then paused it. And then you mounted what, then... Blake? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. But I mean, yeah, so the, the idea is really cool. But yeah, editing video, I would love to do more YouTube stuff, but it's like, like videos yeah. like and that's me i i'm just like this old man who's like i'm scared of technology now get off my lawn <laughs> i feel yeah, like you have yeah, good I'm content for too. it though I, I feel like your cooking videos would do really well if you were to like make Every, sure yeah, ones, everybody um, tells me that i need to get like so, the one time i tried to film something cooking i almost dropped my cell phone in a pot okay. now i was probably not so but if you had either. a second if you had a second cell phone videotaping that and the phone melted there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, you, you have to have like a camera person, and yeah. I can't. Like I, none, all my all my friends are like Blake. You should do this, and I'm like, hey, you want to help me? And they're like, no, I got like kids and shit. I, can't, like, <laughs> I mean, you should do it. You're you're the cooking person. Yeah, you you could uh, have a another entry in the cooking with Rao uh, that Fellhound. You know, we, we talked about her earlier. <laughs> she told me because I, I love that video and it was so funny. And she was like, it took us all day. Like she was, she Actually, was like, I, I listened to that one. She gave she gave the, her girlfriend the the credit as like the creative, uh, the right the writer of those. Falhound is just like a breath of fresh air on in the comic community. Yeah. Extremely talented, mm -hmm. super nice, really positive. Uh, you know, like really, it's fun to see the success that Falhound is having because it's a great person. And about, it, to, about to see it again next week too. Like, indeed. oh yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll be sending out a a message saying, "Hey, you want to hang out on a Friday night?" And you we'll should. Fell, <laughs> Fel, if you're listening, they're they're good dudes. She she was a fun, super fun interview, and I felt bad because she was like, "Is this like video?" And I was like, "Well, it's it's video, but like I don't upload the video. I just I like to record with video because I can tell if like I'm boring or not. Like I'm like, oh, you're you're obviously like I can tell when people aren't interested. I need to up my game, which luckily hasn't happened yet." 
But uh, she was like, she was like, oh, I guess I'll get out of my pajamas. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you do that. <laughs> yeah, like super, super blessed. So incredibly humble, but talented and and real funny. Like you guys should definitely get her on the show. Like she's yeah. she's a good she's a good talk. Yeah, I, I think about nine o'clock. I turned to my wife. I said, I better put shorts on in case I stand out. I don't want a Jeffrey <laughs> Tubin and the poor Facebook audience. <laughs> Well, uh, I want to talk about humble and talented for a second. Uh, Chris completely hey. didn't pipe up about his card game that he's also making. Mm, uh, so I call him out. I called out. Yeah, I have a card game coming out. Um, it's called Red Sea Legends, and it's going to be uh, starting off with our uh, first set, which is all characters from my sci-fi comic, The Saturn Effect. Um, <gasps> and yeah, I'm a... Yeah, get get ready, Blake. They're oh, all gonna no. be they're all gonna That's be awesome. uh, holographic too. So it's gonna be nice, uh, co- nice collectible collectible card game. Nice. Um, and I wanted them also to be. Um, I wanted. I'm a huge fan of card games. Also, I used to play a lot of Yu Gi Oh. I played a uh, too much Hearthstone. I played just <laughs> at, like too much Runeterra. So I, I wanted to also have the card game to be something that people could actually play. Um, and. I wanted it to also be like relatively accessible so that you didn't need to have like too many cards um, sort of sort of on the opposite of you, Pat. So maybe we're beefing. Maybe this is the card game beef coming. I right mean, now. yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get pissed, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take, but, this um, TikTok, Take this to TikTok, guys. Take this to TikTok. For um, the con. con, con. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's something accessible, something where you'd only need to have um three cards and the other person only need to have like something like three cards and probably sell sell them in we're, we're going to be selling them in sets of 18 and um you know for the first edition set one kickstarter stuff will be uh in our next campaign which i'll be having a link going up very soon after uh we get all of uh my latest campaigns um the saturn effect alpha one through three and the saturn effect helena fulfilled this month and uh next month and then we'll be on to the end of volume one with uh, the Siren Effect volume or Siren Effect Alpha Four, and we will have uh, the card game alongside that with uh, as some add-ons and uh, and the like. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, card games are fun stuff. I think it's a, a really cool um, add-on to like have people connect more to characters, also because you can we can have all these. If you're a creator with a lot of characters, it might be hard for everyone to know like how deep some of these characters can be. So like having a card that um, or any sort of multimedia that has this character um, separate from their actual story that they're in sort of like allows people to, to get a little bit closer to them, um, develop a little bit more of a bond, understand who that character is some more. I know I would play test this card game with friends and people that, you know, had read the books that I, that I've written, but may not have connected to the characters as hard as when, after they played the card game and alpha kills centauri or something mm-hmm. and you're like oh my god that's like now i know when i it's just a card game it's just a card game don't worry <laughs> wait, you already know... wait you already know what happens in the story you've read the whole thing you've edited it what are you talking about so, so i i can wrap my mind around how you start a story uh how do you start a card game like what yeah. is what is what is the quote-unquote outline of a card game I think, uh, well, for me, I just wanted to have something that was complex enough that you can play it um, hopefully a lot, but nothing too complicated that you couldn't just tell your friend if you had, you know, you had a, a set of the cards and you or somebody walked over and saw the back of them was like, oh, that's really cool. 
Um, so I, you know, was thinking of games that, you know, how they kept the mechanics sort of uh, simple. We kept numbers low um, so that you can sort of do the math e easily in your head. Um, and sort of, uh, I sort of think of it as like rock, paper, scissors multiplied, like to the power of like three. So it's just like uh, so many different um, permutations due to having multiple choices with a card. Um, and so like hopefully having complexity come from character uh, from players having a lot of agency with what they could actually do with that card and in those options that you have with each so it was really just like playing around with it and saying like what what the hell would i want to do with my card games like ha like i i like cool shit in my card games i like i don't know if anyone else is a card game player but like i like combos i like I like big cards. I like cool stuff that makes my other, like the other player go like, okay, I hate this game. But I also like <laughs> hate being the player that's like, okay, I hate this game. So like I wanted to cure a lot of problems that I've had and also curate to some of the older you go. I know Jared is a huge magic fan. I'm, I know he does a I'm lot surrounded of by magic cards yeah. right now. <laughs> right. So, um, but I wanted something that was uh, fun and accessible, but also had some complexity and solved some of my personal gripes while also hitting some of my own personal, um, you know, wants in card games. What about the yeah, rules? Chris, like, did you, yeah. did you make all the rules or did you have people helping you design? Because that yeah, there are no rules. Wild to me. <laughs> like, right. just inventing a game. And because it's not just the story of the game or even right. the cards and the character. Like, you have to make rules. Right. And that's like, it was that like exhausting or did you like nerd out and get into it? I think that's part of the fun, right? I think it's always helpful. If you can ha find somebody that's like down to just like play your game with you, then you can really like get through all the rules because you'll so as a creator of the game and, and maybe Pat, you could, you can jump in. Yeah. Um, but like you, you sort of have an idea of like how you want the game to go. You're like, okay, this is, this is sort of how it feels. This is how I want uh, the, the back and forth to feel like and playing with another person they're not going to understand what's going on up here. So like being able to explain it to them. And then when you need to clarify something, it's like, Oh, okay, well that's, that's a rule that needs to go down here. So it's like a process. It's not something where like you'll start with off with some basic rules, but it's something that you need to play test through and go through multiple iterations of to really get to the point where it's like, okay, now I can take this set of rules with these cards to somebody that has never played this game. They can read it and get a general idea of like how they're supposed to do it. Um, so I, I think, um, I, I think it's easier than you would think to actually get one of these games down um, because we all have these games that we're pulling from in our cultural, you know, memory bank. Too. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking of like the, the scary part where you like accidentally fuck up where you like, you think it's good and you're like playing and then you're like, Oh no, the game's broken. And you know, like when that right. happens, like, it's not just like, Oh, we need to fix this one part. It's like, Oh, we need to fix this one part, but Oh wait, that affects these three cards. Oh wait, if we change these <laughs> right. three cards, that changes these three cards. Oh wait. Now, you know, like right. that's what sounds right. absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's breaking... part of the play test. Exactly. This makes it sound uh, uh, easy, but it's not easy, but, once you have the machine rolling and you have people to bounce ideas off of and you have uh, play testers, then you then it becomes an, uh, a well-oiled machine. Uh, even more if people are in tune with what you are aiming to do. But you always need people to try to break your game because that's when <laughs> you realize how easy it is to break your game. Oh, it happened yeah. to me when, when dealing with... Uh, tabletop uh, role-playing game systems uh, you when you're developing something or you're trying to test you you 
search for the the cracks. Where does this break? Because the people developing it, either a card game, either a tabletop RPG, you need it. It's it's like a plot hole in a story. Basically, it's the same idea. You need to test it. You need an editor. You need something, someone to break the story, someone to break the system. Definitely. I also think it's impossible to have a completely unbroken game. Like mm-hmm. other, like it's it's. You can even argue that chess is kind of broken, right? So like, because like white <laughs> is supposed to win or something has the advantage. So I mean, like you're never going to be able to just make something that is completely like when it gets to if you know. And this is like obviously best case scenario. If a lot of people play it. You, you're never going to be able to stop that one crazy person that's like just mm. has that right brain for whatever thing that you made to completely blow it open and break it. So uh, I try I try my hardest to and when you're play testing, you try your hardest. Um, but like if somebody like a like a chess grandmaster decided to pick up this game and was like, oh, wait, I just broke your entire game. Well. I mean, well, okay, that's, <laughs> I mean, thanks, man. Um, and, but I think that's okay. And it's, it's okay. And it's like, well, we can fix that afterwards. But like, at least this, it got to this random chess grandmaster and they put enough time into it to, to break it and we can make, uh, make changes from there. But uh, as long as it's fun, like the main thing is always fun, I think, with a card. Fun game. and collectible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like make the me thought of, make me spend more money. Yeah, I like the yeah. thought of Gary Kasparov just sitting watching Kickstarter to ruin people's games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take that motherfucker down. So, oh, sorry, Will. You, you guys have mentioned card games. Uh, you mentioned Magic, um, uh, Pat. You've mentioned Pokemon. You know, yes. what are some of the other games that you got? Card games that you guys have played. Or, or loved. Uh, I I love um, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer card game. <laughs> I, I love uh, uh, Dragon Ball Super, but those two I just collect. I don't play. I uh, my brain doesn't really work that way. Uh, so, in the making of mine, um, I'm more uh, reverse engineered the story elements because I wanted to create a game where someone could build a narrative either solo or with other people. I really broke down the, uh, you know, the magic in my story to do it that way. Because I, uh, I, dude, Chris, I, I could never do what you just described. I'm in awe of that. That's awesome. That, that's awesome. Yeah. I told you, humble and tough. <laughs> so, Pat, would yours have combat in it? It could, yeah. Um, it's that would be one of the uh, magic cards. There's um, uh, we have um. Character cards, uh, magic cards, uh, location cards, and uh, action cards. And um, there is a way to uh, marry the magic and the action cards to do something, you know, that. Marry Magic Hill? Is that the game? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Yeah, There's uh, different directions that you can take the story. Like you you can make it into a a romance story or or you can make it into a, a battle story. Cause I just heard about the, that kind of like tabletop RPG there, 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 like it's, it's not, there's no combat at all. It's just all story driven yeah. uh, and like evolving your character, like in a nonviolent way. Yeah. Um, I, well, I guess you can utilize emotional violence, which is kind of interesting, <laughs> exactly. but, yeah, yeah. but I, I didn't exactly. know, like I'm, I'm learning, like, I don't know tons about tabletop games. Um, and so like, I learned that recently and it, uh, it was, that was really intriguing. That is cool. Yeah. I was just about to ask Pat if he ever considered making uh, a tabletop RPG system for 
the Destiny world or yeah. his magic world. Yeah, th this card game would be about as close as, as I would get to that because it kind of um, it marries a bit of the RPG idea with the trading card idea, you know. Um, and really, what it is, it, it's an excuse for me to build a binder of my own characters, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Same. And then that's sell a, a custom a binder on Kickstarter. Exactly. Like... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Man. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Kickstarter rewards are what would be cool for me to have. All right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How much would it cost? And how can we raise enough money to make it exist? Are you seeing the resurgence of pogs like right now? Like there's a handful of Kickstarters that have fucking pogs. And I'm like, I am so excited about it. But no one has put out a slammer yet. So there's all these like random pog sets you can get, but no one has a slammer. So if, if one of you guys launches a new Kickstarter and has a slammer, I I, I think they'll just back it. You could just release you could do, release like do a we need a breakneck slammer. Yeah. Oh you could it, I'm, it fit. I'm it not fit, prepared yeah. for that. Maybe next time. <laughs> just throw I, it I, in there. It's fine. I always throw out the worst uh stretch balls. <laughs> So you asked Shani, me, yeah. when we were doing Killeru, they asked me what what would we what could we do for a struggle? Oh, a, a, a mini, a Killeru mini, 3D printed. That's the first thing that comes to my mind because that's what I would want. Yeah. So if you ask me, I'm gonna throw it out, but it's not a good cost wise. It's not mm. viable. Yeah, you you have to figure out what can be uh, afforded affordably and shipped affordably, and yeah. and that yeah. all comes together. Shawnee says that she loves the concept and typically the art of various card games. However, she doesn't actually play, as that would require her to be out and be social, trying to meet like-minded people. <laughs> nope, I I stay in my cave and watch my live streams. Well, we thank you for that, Shawnee. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean. We I can ruin your life from there. Magic the Gathering <laughs> Arena, Hearthstone, <laughs> Room Tear. Like, you can shell out real money for digital assets constantly. I just, I love, I just love what you just said. Like, of, I, can I can ruin, ruin your, life your life from there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, I, so I can work I at an international, <laughs> I work at an international high school. I love magic. I was like, oh, let me introduce magic to my Vince. Vince. I'm bringing four of them to the new magic pre-release tomorrow so that they can spend a bunch of their money to buy new magic. Uh, I'm, I'm the cardboard crack dealer at the school. <laughs> that's your t-shirt. That's, a, that's yeah. good. Yeah. All right. Here's one that pack, uh... Smell that fresh card smell. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good Let's stuff. go around the horn. Uh, it's been a couple hours. Maybe some people are coming in, watching, listening. I mean, if it's a podcast, they've been here the whole time. But let's do one more <laughs> quick uh, 30 second uh, talk on each project. Um, John is not here, so I will say Drumsticks of Doom was a one shot in the rock and roll world as it's if uh, Black Sabbath became the greatest rock band instead of the Beatles and all the repercussions that that actually brought to the world, including we don't know why, but werewolves. Um, <laughs> Gotta have so, Pat, uh, why don't you bring us home on Prison Witch? Yes, uh, Prison Witch is a graphic novel series co-written by myself and my, my wife, Amy. 
Uh, it is Orange is the New Black Meets the Craft. It is on Kickstarter right now at tinyurl.com slash prisonwitch. Uh, it's the final volume and the third volume, closing out the trilogy. Uh, you can get the entire series uh, right now, or if you're all caught up, you can get uh, uh, volume three. Nice. Uh, Chris, let's have your 30-second pitch for your story and breakneck. Okay, awesome. Well, I have an awesome short in Breakneck Fantasy Anthology uh, filled with fantasy and black and white goodness. And my story is When I Freeze Hell Over, where we follow an ice witch named Sickly as she travels down the path of hell to uh, become the new devil. So um, I created it with uh, Marco Del Forno, and it's one of um, five awesome shorts in the anthology. Yeah, very excited for this. Uh, I need a moment. Oh, you did got you say, Did you say sickly? Yeah, I thought it was. I really thought it was sickle. I sickle? really did. Like I, bicycle. I thought it was. Sickly. I edited this sickle. book and I thought it was sickle. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's whatever you want it to be. Okay. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's like a doofy. Yeah, exactly. I, this I is gotta readjust theory, okay? some thinking here. <laughs> listen, listen, I have a book called Morte that I've heard called Mort and Morty. Um, <laughs> you know what? If you're reading it as you know, or backing it, you can say call it whatever you want. That's fine. Exactly. That's true. Uh, you know, like I'll Pat doesn't mind if I say Destiny New York. It's fine. <laughs> I backed it. It's fine. <laughs> well, thank you very much, guys. Will and I are going to go through the uh, campaigns that are still live before we break down. And uh, you guys brought me to 1245 before I even thought about this. So thank you very much for making our evening a blast. Uh, and a lot of great discussion. I made it almost two hours without wine. I think I think that's a, a positive positive set. Uh, we got a comment there I'll look at real quick, though. Oh, Shawnee, it's always great to have you on with us. She says it's great to see familiar faces and get to meet some new ones. Uh, uh, a blast. You guys tuning in and commenting, you guys make it um, more fun for us uh, every week. So thank you. So what do we got here, Will? We got Cat Dad and Super Mom. This is Rob Anderson's uh, kids book, All Ages, um, about a kid who runs into some issues um, at school comes home and with his mom and dad they talk about it and then he dreams about the problems that he's going through and kind of learns lessons about bullying i'm trying to find it it's and that uh actors aren't always uh, the characters that they portray (laughs) yeah the second issue is about an actor being a shithead at a comic convention uh we couldn't get a name on which actor that might be but we're we're all gonna guess um but just cute cute story it could be multiple ones (laughs) it could it could be but then some of them are just the the nicest people you could ever meet too it's it's you know some people are great and some people are shitheads and that no matter what what job it is uh, we have the Granite State Punk, Travis Gibb. He came up earlier tonight. That is his one shot about the man in the mountain and a guy getting out of jail, coming home, and witches and covens and, and faces punk rock. <laughs> and Travis says it's the best book he's ever written, and he's written a lot of books. So we're going to have to trust him on that. I've, I backed it, so obviously I did. 
I love how excited he is for it. Like he, yeah. he's his when he gets online talking about it, like he gets other people excited. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's all, it sounds real cool. And he just hit. He just uh, capped or went over three hundred backers too, which was nice. Awesome. Yeah, you can tell it's a very uh, important and personal story for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that's true. Uh, Phil and Cat. So we've got uh, haunting. Uh, number one through four uh, by uh, our uh, friend Phil Falco. Uh, it's uh, a bratty teenager. Wherever he goes, the dead rise, and he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> the, the ghosts rise, kill everybody around him, and he is he's over it. He is yeah. so over it. <laughs> and it's pretty great. He said he wanted to, to – he set out to write a despicable – protagonist and he kind of has but it's he a is. great story yeah. and i'm 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 in on it all the way and if yeah. you say Fel, phil falco you have to say uh cat cat calamia um <laughs> they 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 run in tandem together they did the, the dynamic duo of kickstarter yeah they did the bi visible <laughs> anthology together they do slice of life together and they kickstart together her book is the dancer which is sort of a um, a vigilante tale, uh, Batman, Black, uh, Batman and Black Widow-esque, where a young girl's parents are killed, and the rest of her life she spends either dancing or in martial arts and decides to go out and get revenge. Uh, but one at the end of issue one, she has to look point blank at what her actions actually have brought to the world and think about whether or not she is a hero or something else. So it's kind of a psychological uh, deep dive on vigilantism by Kat. And her character has to deal with the trauma that she's repressed for her, 12 her years or life. so. Yeah. yeah. Some guy named Charlie Stickney. Um, uh, who's this guy? <laughs> I don't know. He's writing The Adept for uh, the Immortal Studios. And The Adept is the a book about uh, a young lady who's been dreaming that she's learning martial arts for years. And uh, one day she's at a concert with her estranged little sister. And uh, the guy who's been training her in her dreams shows up on stage. And she realizes that maybe she wasn't dreaming. She really was training. So this is the second issue, and it's uh, you know, it's it's Charlie Stickney's co-writing it. So you know, you're gonna get you're gonna get our our push no matter what. But the first issue was a strong, strong start. Uh, the art by Yishan Lee is mm. spectacular, it's- and it's got a variant by Gene Ha that is one of the most beautiful covers I've seen in a long time. I am a recovering variant addict and I have stopped. <laughs> I've been really good about not buying like store exclusive variants and, and, and variant stuff. And I, I ponied up for the gene variant. It's so nice. Beautiful. Nice. It's, it's all valid on Kickstarter. It's all valid. <laughs> no That's right. Yeah. You know That's what? You don't have to buy it. That's your choice. We just, yeah. we just want to give you lots of choices. That's right. <laughs> uh, you want me to take uh, the toddler apocalypse? Uh, I, what is, I, is it still running? I yep. think it, I think it is. I thought it yep. funded. It. I thought it. Oh funded. wait, it may have. Hang on a second. Let me refresh my page. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I still have it. It goes oh. until February eighteenth. It looks like so. Okay. Well, yes. Six more Take days. it on. Uh, you know what's worse than the apocalypse? How ha- having your kids in an apocalypse? Because however bad it is, it's going to be worse having your kids in an apocalypse yep. because they're going to make it worse. I really recommend anybody with kid with kids 
five and older read this because you can be brought back to those terrible, terrible moments when <laughs> they ruin your life. And, and you can look at it and you laugh. And, and if you don't have kids, I think you should get this to maybe, Come on, guys. you know, be I more careful in your sexual activities because maybe you can <laughs> do that to yourself. But if you have a two or a three-year-old, I recommend not reading this right now. You're too close. Oh, you're too, too close late, to the man. trauma. I already <laughs> pledged. And I have an eight-month-old baby. Oh, Ooh, gosh. Do you read it really quick or do you wait for five years? I don't know. I think I will wait. You you, t you tell me what you did and get back. But the, the art in this is incredible. And the idea is really funny in it. It seems like a really great idea. And we can do one more time. Thoughtscape Comics. That's the anthology about the fifth dimension where every thought ever ever created is recorded and can be kind of grabbed and used. And it's just a, a kind of a mind fuck in, in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. I hear volume two is really good. I didn't get to read it though. Uh, <laughs> no, Matt, Matt said that everybody he likes gets to read volume two. So I think a lot of <laughs> yeah. people read it. Like, oh. He said there was oh. only one dipshit he didn't send it to. I don't know who that was. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, he didn't say. He didn't say who that was. Yeah. <laughs> One very important thing to say about Soup, about uh, Thoughtscape uh, too, uh, it's really easy to sign in, create an account, and back a project. You can do that in five minutes. Yeah, at, at the most. Yeah, five minutes at yeah. the most. That's and that's what having to go find your wallet and put the credit card in it. Yeah. That is, it's a strong thing in in creating an account. Um, mm -hmm. and you know what I, I'm, I'm into as many crowdfunding sites that will put good comics out as possible. And you know what, yeah, that includes Indiegogo. As long as you don't put a hashtag in front of your comic, uh, we're a big, <laughs> big fan of that. If you put a hashtag that, that might not be, uh, as inclusive as we would like our community to be, then that might be a different thing, but that's not Indiegogo specifically. It's just some creators. So let's, let's keep all of these crowdfunding sites fertilized and ready for comics to grow. Absolutely. Oh yeah. All right. Gentlemen, thank you for uh, starting my Valentine's weekend off. I, you know what? There was one, there was one cutest uh, here, but I think you all were decent. <laughs> Very good. I know. From, from. Very good. Thanks, thanks, Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> No, thank you very much. It was a blast. Thanks oh, for, thank having you for having me on. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks, everyone. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now.